All right. Uh, welcome, James. We have we have a very special guest today. Uh, James, could you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Because you are not a DoxyMe employee, nor are you a Ukrainian. No, that's right. Um, thank you for having me, I guess, first of all. Uh, so I'm James. Uh, I'm from the UK. And uh, I very randomly became part of, I guess, the DoxyMe family unofficially uh, when I came over to Poland um, on the, what, the 3rd of uh, March or something like that, six weeks ago or so. Um, and again, very, very randomly, I met Brandon, um, who then I basically, uh, there's a long story behind it, but we then uh, traveled together to Ukraine to meet his team in Lviv. Um, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I've become part of this DoxyMe story journey, whatever you want to call it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so Brandon, of course, is the CEO of DoxyMe. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you guys kind of stumbled into each other? Uh, I kind of wish I could, um, but nobody really knows. Uh, it's somehow it's, it's got lost. Um, I basically somehow got in contact with Heath. Um, who I believe is uh, Brandon's uh, the head of tech, from my understanding. Um, and so I, I must know somebody who knows him, who put us in contact. And for the life of me, I can't remember, he can't remember, and Brandon can't remember. So we don't really know who, who this person is, but somebody somewhere put us in contact. And then he said, oh, well, um, Brandon's actually flying over to Warsaw uh, later on today or tomorrow, whatever it was. That's where I was staying in a hostel. Um, and perhaps you two can link up and he can help you cross the border. So that was where it was all began. And I've gone through my chats and I can't for life of me remember exactly who it is, but mysteriously we came together. Okay. So I, I believe the, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine started on February 24th. Where, where were you on that day? Uh, so then I was staying with my parents, um, so I'm from the southwest of the UK, and um, I was just uh, spending some time with them um, back at home. So I'm in my late 20s, so I've flown the nest many years ago. So I've just gone back to stay with them for a week or so, a bit of a holiday. And um, that's when really uh, it all came to my attention. Um, I saw, uh, I guess a few weeks before, maybe a month before, it kind of brewing and me and my friends would talk about it. And we... <sighs> We, I don't know what we really thought of it, but it's very far from us in the UK. So it was kind of just this weird, maybe third world war that was potentially going to break out, but it was just whispers and we didn't really know what's going to go on. But yeah, so I was staying with my family and then it, it suddenly happened and it was a bit of a shock to us and um, I guess for the rest of the world and more so than any kind of uh, geopolitical event for me in the past because it's Europe. And um, I know, I mean, when the Iraq war happened, I was very young, so it didn't really mean much to me. I was uh, less than 10 years old, so I was too young to really understand that sort of stuff. But as someone that's a fully fledged adult now, and this is happening in Europe, it was a pretty big event for me. And to see what was happening through YouTube, on Reddit, all these videos and BBC News, uh, it was very shocking, really. Totally. And so did you go to Poland with the goal of then going into Ukraine? Yeah, yeah. So I I guess I spent the first 
the first five or six days of the war, reading up as much as I could on how I could be helpful in Ukraine um, and figuring out uh, how I'd get there and kind of any contacts I could find in Ukraine and what I'd be doing really to make myself most useful. Um, at the time, I did actually sign up for the Foreign Legion um, to fight against the Russians. But uh, I think maybe a day or two before I left to fly out to Poland, there was posts everywhere saying, if you're not military trained, you're just going to be a hindrance. So I, I kind of wrote that off at that point. And I thought, right, what's the next best thing I can do? Um, which then kind of brought me towards what I've been doing so far, which has been uh, transporting goods across country and vac evacuating people from the east back over to the safer regions in the west. Wow. And so what, why are you, why do you think you're so driven to support the people of Ukraine in this, in this time? Uh, so people have asked me this before and I'm, I have no connections with Ukraine whatsoever. I've never been here. I don't really know very much. Or I didn't know very much about Ukraine before I came here. The furthest east I've ever been was the Czech, was Czech Republic even. Um, it's, they're us. Yes, they use a funny alphabet and I can't understand the language, but they have the same morals, same belief system. They live in the same cities as us, us being West, UK, American, whatever. Um, is much closer to home than, for example, the Afghan Iraq wars, where they have very different religion, very different beliefs, and or the way they live for an outsider seems very different. So to see it happening in Ukraine, in these big, very westernized, I guess, cities, it kind of makes you think, well, why are they getting this? Why was I lucky to be born in a country that doesn't have this risk? And these people who are the same as me have the same beliefs. Are unlucky and then being killed by a thousand it's i thought it's unfair and i'm in a position to help so why not really yeah and, and you've touched on something uh really amazing that has come up a lot and has become more clear as i've done these interviews um which is that the people of ukraine really are like us like people in the united states people in the uk um, you know, they live in these very modern cities. They have some of the most impressive software engineers in the world. And we know that because, you know, they're our colleagues, um, and they're just like you and I, but you're right with, with that alphabet, that's maybe harder to read for us. Um, but so you knew Heath or you knew a friend of a friend of Heath. Yep. connected with him and so that i'm guessing led to your connection with brandon um what was it like what did you guys talk about the first time you met in person so uh it was very interesting meeting brandon because i didn't know him from adam he was just another bloke uh it took me i guess it was only when we arrived in lviv did i realize okay this guy's pretty a pretty big deal like he's pretty successful he's got all these people underneath him working in his company and i started to learn more about that so initially just an american and uh -huh. he is uh very very typically american like the accent everything he's a big guy he looks as american as possibly can um so we sat down immediately went for dinner uh because it was late in the evening when we first met um and it, it really is it is weird to look back on because i see him now as 
a pretty close friend because we traveled together for like three or four days and we were both going into what we believed was a very much a war-torn country and we didn't know what we were getting into. We kind of thought there'd be Russians around every corner or potential Russians around every corner. It is very different to that, but that's what we believed we were getting into. So there was, I think, a bit of camaraderie between us whilst we were traveling. So we kind of uh, grew a close bond. But initially it was, it was, it was funny because we just sat at a table at a restaurant, didn't know each other whatsoever. He was on his phone, I guess, doing business and uh, organizing things ahead of time, trying to rent um, a vehicle for us to go in. Uh, I was using my phone to try to um, arrange what charities I'd be working with. Um, so it was it was almost like a business arrangement um, initially because we didn't know each other and he was busy with this stuff. I was busy with my stuff and we were both in this world we hadn't really been in before. Um, but then, of course, you've got all this time to spend with each other. We would, the first day, uh, I think we drove... It must have been five, six, seven hours. We say we drove, Brandon drove. Um, and you, you slowly start to chip away at each other. And I started to get to know him and realize that this professional front that I first met is, it wasn't a front, but it's, um, it was, he was in business mode because he'd arrived, he'd come here for his business and he was just asked, can you help out this, this British guy? So I was just a random person he was giving giving uh, a lift to um so he was focused on his team and how he could help them but then as we spent more time together and we met problems in the future uh we very much turned into a team where okay right how do we solve this solution for example the next day when we were supposed to be traveling to the border to cross it we were told um by one of his uh, friends or associates that he couldn't cross the border with his rental vehicle and brandon had a rental vehicle and that was the whole reason why i was going with him to kind of uh, use him as my chauffeur, let's say, to get me into country. But uh, so at this point, we thought, right, okay, we can't take the car. How the hell do we get across? And for me, I thought the most useful way, uh, the best way for me to be useful in this situation, um, the war that is, is to somehow get a vehicle, like a, a big van, um, and start transporting goods. So I thought, right, let's literally go, go and buy a vehicle right now. And something which... Uh, kind of became a little bit of a, a slogan for us throughout the trip that we, we had together was uh, kind of, if there's a will, there's a way, slash, um, uh, I guess there's no real slogan for it, but without planning, things will work out. Just, it'll, it'll work out, which it always did. So we, we, we met, went to meet some guy who um, it fell through. Uh, we, so we drove a long way out of the way to go and meet this guy who was going to give us some advice or maybe convoy with us. Um, he didn't turn up in the end, uh, and we thought, right, bugger, how are we going to do this? So I was like, should I, should I just buy a van? He was like, yeah, I guess so. So I just went on my phone, on a Facebook marketplace, messaged like 10 different people who were selling vans within 100 kilometers, uh, saying, can I buy your van today? So I was ruining any chances of haggling because I knew I wanted it right there and then. Got a few replies within half an hour as we were sat in this car park. And the first one, I thought... That looks good. That's a van. I don't, I don't know vehicles, vans. I don't think Brandon is, is uh, really into his car so much. So he, he really didn't um, know any more than I did. So we drove to this place um, and a young man uh, was helping his dad sell the van because he didn't speak English. The young man, probably like 20 years old. So he did all the translating. And um, so we decided 
well, I guess I decided, kind of using Brandon as almost like a bit of a father figure here, even though he's less than 10 years old than me. I was like, dad, should I go for it? And he was like, oh, it's a van, I guess. So uh, I decided to buy it. Um, and uh, at which point we realized the van wouldn't start and the battery was flat. So then we went off and sat in a, um, a pizza place and thought to ourselves, right, what happens if we can't get the van? And then we sat there for about half an hour and then eventually the van was fixed and we picked it up. And after about an hour and a half of paperwork, I eventually had this van and then we could go forward. And I completely forget your question because I went off on one, but um, no, it, uh, it grew perfect. into a kind, of, kind of a weird partnership of random things go wrong and I have an idea, I fix it, or Brandon then has an idea and he, okay, yeah, that's good, let's go with that one. And it really was a weird zigzag trail of eventually getting to Lviv um, from Warsaw. It really wasn't a direct route. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I think uh, here at Doximi, we have an opinion of Brandon that he is just a, a go-go-goer. You know, he doesn't stop. It's all about uh, speed and getting it done and then yeah. trying the next thing. Um, did, did you know about the cargo that he was trying to carry into Ukraine? Yes. Yeah. I was, uh, I was just looking through some photos on my phone earlier to kind of refresh my memory of, uh, those days. And I came across a photo of me and him and his cargo of, I think two, three, maybe even four huge rucksacks, like a, a single human would struggle to carry, but obviously Brandon being the six, five monster that he is. <laughs> Get them onto the American plane, fly them across. Uh, being military gear, I think he had night vision goggles. Uh, what else? I think med packs. He had everything. Um, so yeah, it, it was very impressive him uh, wanting to, let alone actually bringing that, let alone even bringing that into country. So yeah, it was uh, it was quite something really to, to see. Yeah. So you guys had some uh, impressive challenges and barriers to overcome before you had even entered Ukraine. Uh, so after you got the, that van working, uh, mm -hmm. were you guys then able to cross the border at that point? Uh, almost, I mean, so at this point, uh, we had burnt a lot of time and um, we then decided, rather than trying to enter Ukraine in the evening at night and then drive at night in this war-torn country, uh, we'll stay in, we'll try and stay somewhere locally. Um, and I think we, we got to the nearest town to the border and we spent about an hour driving around to every single hotel that we could find. Could we, anyway, any rooms? Could, we were happy to share a room, one bed, one of us on the floor, absolutely nothing, nothing whatsoever. The place was, um, terribly overrun in a, in a, in the context of it was a terrible situation by refugees. There were camps everywhere. There were tents everywhere. Every hotel was just full of people in lobbies, just standing there. There were police going in and out of all these places, trying to organize themselves and organize these people. So you, you couldn't get somewhere to stay for love and money. Um, I remember one place was uh, really criminally trying to charge um, for a small Airbnb $7,000 for one night. So there were some really terrible, like exploitative uh, situations. So um, I then called a charity who I'd kind of linked up with a little bit and they said, oh yeah, you can just, you can, you can be the first people to stay with us in, in the Airbnb that we've rented out and it's right next to the border in this place. So we then drove off at about, I think eight in the evening, got there about 10. Um, 
woke up this uh, little old lady, this little old Polish lady who didn't speak any English. Um, and she had to actually come and fetch us from the local town because we got lost. We couldn't find the place. Uh, we went in um, and it was very, very nice. It was, like, it was actually on a ski resort, which we had no idea. We were up in the mountains. We, we arrived in the evening and in the morning, we were like, oh, no, there's actually there's like a ski run right outside the window. It was quite, quite something. Um, then we left. Uh, and I mean, there's so many little things to this story. I'll, I have to kind of go into detail just because it does kind of just give you an idea of what we experienced. Um, and as we left, we'd noticed the night before that there was a big, uh, there was, there were about five or 10 vehicles parked on the side of the road, right next to the border. Um, and they were all parked around what looked like kind of a trash heap. And what this was, was just a load of donations, blankets, boxes of uh, clothing and food, mattresses, mattresses, maybe five to 10 tons worth of this stuff, just on the side of the road. And these pe this we found out had come from Germany and these vans were basically filling up their vans and then just driving to the border. So as we drove past in the morning on the way to the border, we quickly turned around, pulled over and said, do you want us to take anything? They were like, where are you going? You're like, Ukraine? <laughs> They're like, ah, oh, no way, this is where this is going. So <laughs> we pulled over and had some photos with some Germans who were surprised to see a Brit and American there, uh, loaded the van and then went to the border. Um, and that was, I guess, the last challenge out of country or last little story out of country, but it continues as we go into Ukraine. Right. Well, don't, don't let my question stop you. Just keep going. You're, you're doing great. <laughs> what, uh, what happens next? <laughs> um, so, uh, I remember we, we went to, um, one of the very, very minor crossings, uh, because we went, uh, to the Airbnb, which the charity put up for us. That was very, very far south, um, away from the kind of the motorway crossings. Um, so we went through the mountains, through the forests, to this little crossing by a river. And we got there. We thought, bloody hell, this is absolutely dead. There were maybe five to ten cars in the queue ahead of us um, to actually cross. So we thought, this is amazing. We'll be over in 20 minutes. Um, and just before we got into the queue, the security guard pulled us over and said, room for two more. We were like, mm, yeah, I guess. And then this man and lady, um, a couple, a young couple, probably 35 or so, they jumped in. She was Ukrainian but spoke perfect English. He was uh, Dutch and they were married. And basically they were, um, had been, had just traveled from um, Amsterdam where they lived all the way over to uh, Ukraine, to the border, to try to pick up her mother who was unfortunately dying. She was in the late stages of her life and was very ill. Um, so she was queuing by foot and was very, very weak, and they'd come over to try to basically pick her up and then drive her back to Amsterdam, where at least she could kind of um, have her last days or hours with her family there. Um, but they couldn't cross by foot, so they had to get in any vehicle that was going in, so they jumped in with us, very fortunately so, because we found out that um, I was a bit of a naughty boy, and um, I had lost my driving license in the UK just before I came, completely unrelated incident, just on a night out, I lost it. Uh, so I was driving potentially illegally in Poland without insur uh, driving insurance. Um, so, but I took this risk because I thought, look, bloody hell, I'm going to war. I'm going to war zone. If I get, if insurance for two days driving across Poland yeah. stops me, that's pretty weak. There, um, there are greater weak. concerns, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, I said to Brandon, right, I haven't got 
my driving license. So they ask, if, if they ask for that, I'm maybe a bit buggered. But if they ask for my insurance as well, I'm definitely buggered with both of those things. So we then swapped seats. So dad was in the seat. Oh, sorry, Brandon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Brandon drove us across and um, the, the, the Polish border guard came to us and he went ballistic. He went mental just for the fact we didn't have insurance um, because we'd just driven through his country uninsured illegally. So uh, we said, oh, really? Sorry, I didn't, didn't know that we needed um, insurance. And he maybe spoke English, but I think he was just trying to, trying to do a bit of a power play and just really scare us by not speaking good English or just really throwing it at us in a foreign language. But fortunately, the Ukrainian lady, she said in that moment of we need to get across, she just suddenly managed to speak Polish. So she doesn't officially speak Polish, but because it's quite similar to Ukrainian, she said in that instant she could understand him. And she basically talked us out of it and got us to cross. Um, so that got us through the, the Polish border guards. But then wow. we had to do the same thing with Ukrainians. Um, and with the cargo we had, they were searching through that. They pulled us over. We had to wait for other cars to go through. So that was probably two hours um, for five cars to cross. So if you can imagine the other bigger crosses, crossing um, points where they're going to have hundreds to thousands, I have no idea how they managed to get through because it was just the slowest process I've probably ever witnessed in my life. Um, then I guess once uh, we got across, uh, the couple thanked us and actually immediately at the very start front of the queue, um, trying to exit uh, Ukraine was her mother. So she ran over to her and then they kind of disappeared into the distance. Um, we then started our journey uh, to Lviv. And I very vividly remember me and Brandon, as soon as we started driving um, and we kind of got past the car, the queue of cars who were queuing to leave. Um, and there's constant traffic going to the, to the border to leave Ukraine, but there was no one on our side of the road. And we just looked at each other and said, are we going the right way? <laughs> Because we're, we're, we're going towards conflict. Like, what the, what the hell are we doing? But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, for us, we, I, I definitely say, and I think you would agree, that we saw it as a bit of a, an adventure. It was under the worst circumstances, and it, it, it was, um, it is awful, but it's the only way you can really think about it is how to make yourself feel okay with what you're doing is, this is just an adventure. Like, it's something I haven't experienced before, let's just go and do it. Um, but it was, yeah, I... sorry, go on. No, I, I would like to say that uh, if it was only at this point where you guys were questioning whether you were going the right way, that's uh, <laughs> that's miraculous in its own right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe it's uh, stupid of us, but um, I guess together we maybe amped each other up to forget that there was some sort of danger. Uh, but, I mean, I think one of the main things that really stuck out to us was um, for a Westerner, as a Briton, Americans, whoever, the quality of the roads, oh my goodness. You you think, you just can't believe that cars survive. You have, in, in the first town that we came to and they had um, shops that Westerners would recognize, uh, of which I can think of none right now off the top of my head. Let's say I don't know, a Walmart. They don't, but that sort of standard of Western shops that they would have there. Um, so you have this very, very Westernized shop and through the main high street, you have potholes a, a foot deep and joining. So a foot, and then you have a few inches of the main surface and then back to the next pothole. And we were just blown away by this um, kind of, this crazy infrastructure disparity between 
what these people like the what they were how they were living in our western world with these like people really uh, dressed very very modernly to then this very very difficult terrain that they're driving on and just it was just crazy seeing cars driving in a in a column and then everyone would drive to the opposite side of the road to go around this giant death pothole and then back across little things like that were the kind of the first impressions of us to us um especially for me i guess brandon had been in the country before of uh kind of some of the towns and the, how this place works it was just it was a bit um kind of eye-opening i guess not a bad way yeah. just interesting totally and you you mentioned earlier that uh you know you guys didn't really know what you were getting yourselves into when you were like what it would look like in ukraine and you mentioned half jokingly this idea of like would there be russians hiding behind every corner um what like can you describe your feeling once you were in ukraine you know you're seeing these roads you're seeing damage you're seeing the queue the long queue of people trying to flee the country um just talk me through your feelings as you're experiencing all of these things. Yeah, I think um, something which really put us at ease very, very quickly uh, when we entered the country, within about a kilometer of, of entering, um, we saw a fuel station. So we pulled over and thought, well, let's top us, top us up because we didn't know what fuel would be like for the rest of the country. Um, and as we did, I bought like an iPhone charger or whatever. So things were working fine in there. We bought it fine. And as we were about to drive away, this little old man shouted at us in Ukrainian, which of course we didn't understand, but he basically pointed at the wheels and said, you got a flat tire. Okay, okay right. So we, he then, we then pulled over to him and he, he put air in it because he was working for the fuel station. And then we drove off. We just thought, he's at work. He, his job is to put air in people's wheels. Like, and there's a war going on. So it kind of made us think maybe, especially in these regions, life is normal like to an extent like people are going about their daily business um even though 30 meters across the side of the road you had people queuing fleeing for their lives he was there just going to work doing his job so it really did um make us realize that regions of ukraine are under huge um bombardment risk attacks by the russians but in the west it's it kind of is business as usual. And as I've been spending time in Lviv, I'm speaking to people from different parts of the world who've come over and we're just to get together, just shocked, sitting there, having a coffee, seeing these people going to the opera. Like a guy I'm living with here, a doxy me guy, he said, well, I think I might go to the opera. And I was like, go to the opera. He's like, well, I mean, it's a weekend, why not? And it's just, it's crazy that you're living in what is, in the news is one of the most dangerous places to be people are going to the opera so right um yeah it's it's uh mind-boggling i think right wow the, and did you guys run into any more challenges on the road before you made it to uh what we call the Lviv hub where uh, the the apartment where the doxy employees are staying yeah uh i don't know if it would be if you constitute it as problems but um I guess our first experiences of um, the military uh, block posts, um, we saw those pretty immediately when we entered the country and then frequently every, I don't know, 30 miles, 50 kilometers or so. Um, and these just constitute basically as of um, uh, hedgehog anti-tank like 
uh, not triangles or whatever, X's made out of big uh, pieces of iron um, and big blocks of concrete. And then some guys with AK-47s in military gear, they stop you, what are you doing here? Like an American and a Brit, what the hell are you doing? Like very confused. <laughs> but when you explain and they smile and they laugh and they bring over their colleague, they show the passports and maybe they shake your hand and then you go on. So initially curiosity or almost um, confusion and then quickly moves into um, uh, enthusiasm and, and kind of uh, almost delight that we're there because no doubt more, more often than not, they are just seeing locals. And then to see Brandon, I mean, he is a distinct figure, an American with his big booming voice uh, and a Brit. It must kind of show some sort of support to them, especially when we say what we're doing and what we're bringing and that he's got military gear bringing, coming over. Um, I think that was probably maybe the, the only other uh, thing that we came across on the way into Lviv, because this side of the West side of Lviv is, is very safe and it is just people fleeing, really. Um, there's no sort of war in that area and there's very little destruction. Um, so yeah, I think we, we basically managed to get to the hub pretty unscathed um, huh. with few other issues. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Well, th this may be kind of a big question that I'm about to ask. So answer it however you see fit. Uh, what has been your impression of Ukrainians uh, since this all started on your journey between you know, those, uh, the guys at the military checkpoints and now the, uh, Doximi employees at the Lviv hub. Uh, I think the best way to describe how I feel when I've been interacting with them is it's just extremely humbling, um, how they can, and it goes across the hub, Doximi people, people in the street, people in Kharkiv, everywhere, how these people can continue having a smile on their face, joking around the work ethic of some of the people that I've interacted with um, whilst this is all going on. It's really incredible. I, I, I struggle to believe that many other kind of countries or people would sacrifice um, not only their lives, because I know some of the Doxiumi guys have gone, gone to, to fight but also um, their finances, self-funding, buying vehicles, buying supplies, using everything they've saved in their lives to, to try to help soldiers or help the refugees in more difficult positions. Um, it really is incredible. And then aside from that sort of thing, just how welcoming and fun they are. Um, like uh, Lisa or Liza, I always get it wrong. Uh, she was one of the first people I met and. Uh, she was here actually, I think just yesterday or the day before and how fun she is and enthusiastic. And, um, it's, it's almost like I'm, I'm at home with a lot of people. Like they they really are just a very, very welcoming and, um, I don't know, enthusiastic people, oh. even when I don't yeah. speak the language, um, to a lot of people that I've met on the road, I don't speak Ukrainian, unfortunately, I only speak English. And a lot of people, um, the further east you go, won't speak English, especially the older generations. But we get by and the big smiles on their face when they hear my my, my English um, and the food they force upon me and, oh, no, you're going to stay in my house tonight. Like, it's it really is just incredible, really. Yeah. And, and Lisa is such a gem. I don't 
know if we ended up including it in her episode or not, but she, uh, she DJs. She, she's, uh, yeah, you should, maybe you can get her to, uh, to play a set for you sometime, but she's, she's, uh, in, in times of, of peace, she, she has some pretty interesting hobbies that she sticks to. Um, (laughs) definitely, definitely ask her about it next time you get a chance. Um, but, uh, okay. So you've, uh, you've made it to the Lviv Hub. You've met Doxymi people. Uh, what has your life looked like since then? What, what have you been up to? How safe do you feel day by day? Um, why are you still in in Ukraine, you Brit? <laughs> what are you doing there? <laughs> uh, so um, to be to try to be as honest as possible uh, without um, being melodramatic. Uh, so the first, the first thing that me and Brandon did was we we, uh, we met the guys in the hub and then we very quickly drove into um, what you can think of as the town hall of Lviv to drop off all the supplies that you brought over. Um, and as we were there, I met um, Lisa's housemate, friend, who is basically running an NGO um, where they transport supplies from the west over to the east. Um, and I spoke to her and met her for the first time and I said, right, I'm here with the van. What do you want me to do? And she said, oh, right, tomorrow or next day, would you be willing to go to Kharkiv? And I heard that this was in the Far East, right on the border with Russia. Um, I was like, yeah, sure. Like, that's what I'm here to do. Um, and at this point, uh, I have a very high risk tolerance and I kind of bury my head in the sand when it comes to danger or problems or whatever, which is a problem and a pro, I guess. Um, but everyone genuinely, everyone around me was extremely concerned for my life. And something which really kind of shocked me was when we were discussing with, um, some military guy at, at this center, um, he brought over a few of the guys, um, and I was there as well. And he was speaking to them very, very directly and quite almost aggressively in Ukrainian. And then at the end, he then looked at me and went, I obviously didn't know what he was saying. And that was his point. I didn't know what the hell I was getting into. I didn't understand the language. I don't understand the culture. So he was basically, and what he said to them and what he then translated to say to me was, you're going to get shot. And then he showed photos of other vans with holes in the windscreen um, from where Russians or maybe even Ukrainians who were, uh, can, who were seeing you bomb down the road at night with the lights on and think, who the hell is this person? And have to have to shoot because they are confused and they think, could be someone trying to uh, soldiers russian soldiers so that really shocked me and kind of made me think and again when i went home people were saying to me you really you really have a good chance of dying tomorrow um so this was i would come to terms with this fact when i left the uk um and that is not what i signed up for but i, I understand the risk the risk and i thought well i've had a pretty good um very uh, fortunate life in the UK, I think it's time to kind of um, give back a little bit. Uh, so I was, I was, and I guess I am still willing to risk my life, not in any way different to anybody else in this country at the moment, um, to help those in need. Uh, but um, yeah, it was, it was something which I maybe thought maybe I'll die out here. But the fact that I was being told tomorrow you will die, it was a weird thing. I don't think 
very often in life you really think tomorrow we will be the last day I exist. Um, it was odd. So that night I really got zero sleep. I remember sleeping on the sofa and um, I think I got half an hour sleep and then Sky, the dog that's staying here, the bugger, he woke me up half an hour before my alarm. So I, just, I thought, okay, at least I'll get an hour. We only got bloody half an hour. So um, that was annoying. But then um, uh, Olga, who is um, Olya, she's looking after the center. She was very kind and she um, basically made me breakfast. Um, so at least I had some food with me before the journey. Uh, um, yeah, so I think um, that was the worst I'd maybe felt. And I remember getting the taxi into town to pick up the van because we left it there overnight. Um, and this is where I was going to go and meet my translator because I was uh, traveling to Kharkiv with um, a man from Kharkiv who would be able to help, well, be able to basically speak for both of us when we got stopped by the by the uh, military. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't a translator in the sense that he didn't speak English. So there was no conversation between us, but he could get across what I was, why I was there. Um, but before this point, I hadn't met him and I felt very very alone because I was just driving in the dark into the abyss. I didn't know my co-pilot. I didn't know anything. Um, and I remember asking him when I got there, I said to him, honestly, what do you think our chance of survival is? And he, he took him a while because it was, it's a question which I don't know, you rarely get asked. Um, and he said, I think we got 70, 30 chance. I was like, ah, oh, it's fine. Like, that's all right. 70, 30. It's in our favor. And also he doesn't want to die. So he, he's local. He knows the back roads to take to avoid Russians. Like I trust in him. So as soon as I was with him, everything was fine. But before that, that night before, not knowing what I was getting into in yeah, where I was going or what I was getting into in terms of the routes and stuff. Um, it was a very nerve wracking kind of time of my life, I guess. Yeah, of course. Um, but judging by the fact that uh you're here talking to me now i guess <laughs> you you guys eventually made it to Kharkiv. i'm guessing yeah uh i think this so i've done to date i've done i've gone to Kharkiv twice uh zaporizhia which is basically the nearest one of the nearest towns major towns to mariupol um and then i've been to kiev once um but this first trip i think fortunately was the most uh, incredible, maybe is uh, maybe is the best word to, to use, just because um, there was snow. It was minus fifteen in some of the places. We had a foot of snow, um, which just made it even for the Ukrainians that I was going with. We met up and convoyed with another uh, two other men who were from Kharkiv. Um, even for them, they were like, "This is crazy." For March to have this much snow, um, no one on the roads driving into Kharkiv blown out tanks, um, staying in tiny little schools, like primary schools, just outside the city, no electricity. The toilet is, um, what I would see in like Victorian England, a little, uh, shed outside in the field. Um, all these little things build up to this crazy adventure that you're on. And I was told off, for, um, I took a, a photo of, uh, an icicle and I, I used the flash cause it was nighttime. And I, the guy said, James, what are you doing? Like, there could be Russians in that field seeing that, and now they could be on their way. I was like, oh, yeah. It's like, because you've been on the road driving through just um, fields and little villages for so long, you completely forget, really, of, the, of what you are evading. 
because you never see it. And people say to me, like, uh, like, do you feel in danger or like, what is the situation? I say, well, realistically, everything's fine until you're dead because you either never see a Russian and you're always fine or as soon as you do, you're going to get shot. So it, it's not the fact that as me and Russia, Brandon thought that you might see like some Russian guys on this corner and then you quickly drive this way. It's not that at all. If, if you do go into territory, which is held by Russians, that's that's end game. Like it's, it's over at that point. So for your whole trip and journey and life in Ukraine, Russians are just this fictitious little evil somewhere that you evade and you just see the remnants or what they leave behind. Uh, so yeah, um, I think going to going to Kharkiv on that first trip was the most memorable um, because as well we had four or five breakdowns, brake failure, almost crashed. Uh, we had to get rescued at two in the morning in the middle of nowhere because um, some bearings on one of the wheels broke, battery broke, had to push the vehicle, uh, steering column broke. Everything went wrong that you could possibly imagine. We broke down countless times. Um, yeah, so it was it was five days, four or five days, I think, of uh, of unknown after unknown. What was this still that? that van that you bought and brought into Ukraine. Yep, same, same van. Oh. Um, I've still got it now. Wow. Fortunately, the two guys who joined us on the convoy, um, they had their, their own van. And um, they are, from, from how I understand it, they are part of one of Ukraine's biggest biker gangs. So they are both very um, hands-on with vehicles. They can like fix bits and bobs um, and they understand if a vehicle's going wrong, they can hear it very, very rapidly. Whereas me, I'll just drive through it until it explodes. Uh, but with now knowing these guys who really are brilliant, um, I got on really well with them. Uh, I now have access to a, a garage in Lviv who kind of do mates rates to help fix the van, um, which basically after every trip you need to go to to check it over because um, there's a district which is just south of Kiev, which we now have named amongst the three of us as the death district because it's probably a hundred kilometers of roads, which are just potholes, connected potholes, but we're on a time limit. We, they want to get home or they want to get there and then get home. So um, we're going over, over this road, um, along this road, even maybe 80, 90 kilometers an hour. And you just, you're literally just trying to find which pothole to avoid because you, you're hitting potholes constantly and you're just trying to find the big ones to go around. Um, and your world is shaking and then the passenger's world is shaking and it's fun. But um, after about two hours, you're like, okay, I wish I could, wish I could get onto a highway at this point. Um, yeah, it just, this country is, is not built to uh, be good to suspension or anything else on a vehicle. Yeah. And, and the fact that you've made several of these supply trips to Eastern Ukraine really uh, recontextualizes that first experience, that first perception of Ukraine you had that these roads are not modern. These roads are not as high quality maybe as a more Western person might be used to. Um, so really, really incredible that uh, after that first trip, you've made three more back to Eastern Ukraine. Um, and do you plan to keep doing this now? Uh, I intend to work in whatever 
way I think I can be most useful. Um, when I first did that first trip, everyone told me and it's all I knew. So I thought I'm going to probably die. Um, hmm. But again, I'd come to terms with that and I, something, that was something which I really did uh, kind of um, understand. But from doing these trips now, it's the risk is so low that I truly believe any anyone who can drive a vehicle can do these sorts of trips because there isn't any risk, um, especially if you're with locals who can navigate you. So for the future, it's looking like um, I'm going to start working with some military people um, and helping deploy military from certain areas to certain fronts uh, because that is kind of upping the risk and that's something which I'm willing to do. So I'd rather risk me than somebody who is not comfortable with it. Um, so it's still moving people or goods or whatever, but it's to more active areas, I guess. Right. And have, have you learned anything new about yourself from this whole experience? Uh, uh, I guess you can, you can say no, if, if you think this aligns with how you already thought of yourself. It's difficult. I, uh, I'm sure I have. I would say maybe. I think I've realized that I need people more than I thought. I've. I like to think that I'm very much a lone wolf. Like I've come out here alone, and um, none of my family or friends know I'm here. They all think I'm in Poland doing generic charity work for this cause. But um, even though I. Because of this, I'm not really in contact with them too much because it's difficult to constantly lie. Um, so I try to just call them maybe once a week. But as I said to some people here who I've been staying with the hub, um, I wouldn't, I cannot really see myself st still being in this country if it weren't for these people, if it weren't for doxy me people, because they have become my friends, they have become kind of my my clan, and even when I'm on the road, all I'm looking forward to do all I'm looking forward to doing is returning and seeing them again. So I think it's made me realize that, um, as much as I am a lone wolf, I need that group of people who are my, my family essentially to come back to. Um, and I guess Doxy and me are now that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, even if you aren't one of our employees or colleagues directly, you are, Certainly, I would say part of the Doxy Me family now. Um, and uh, maybe that's weird coming from me because for our audience, this is the first time James and I have ever talked to each other. Uh, so I, I am not perhaps the best person to welcome him to the Doxy Me family. Uh, you know, Brandon, but Brandon and, you know, Olya and Lisa and everybody else over in. Lviv and Ukraine, I think, have already done a good enough job at that. And Absolutely. I'm sure I'm sure the people they and also the greater people of Ukraine um, appreciate the efforts that you're making as a uh, really as, as a foreigner um, who many people would say doesn't have to be there. Um, so I know you mentioned that you are keeping this a secret from your parents is that right uh everyone i know uh, okay. to an extent in terms of nobody knows i'm in ukraine 
All right. So you probably don't have uh, much to say about how they are handling all this since since they don't know. And yeah. even uh, even still, they aren't directly involved, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Well, in that case, uh, I would just like to ask you if you have any thing else you'd like to share or any closing comments for us? Um, I think really it's, it's, it's more of a thank you to DoxyMe and I mean, Brandon for kicking this all off. Um, and I mean, the, 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 the big man I met versus the man I now know, uh, it's, he is such a lovely guy. Heart of an absolute saint, honestly. Um, so I'd like to say thank you to him primarily for allowing me to stay in the hub and the guys for putting up, put up putting up with me in the hub because of course they have to speak to me in English, which must be a pain in the bum for them. Um, but yeah, just uh, just for the team and Ukraine in general, just to kind of stay strong and keep your head up because being as united as they are and with outsiders coming in, like they'll definitely get through this. It'll just be um, a bad time whilst it is here, but it will definitely, um, they will prevail, let's say that. Mm, right. Well, thank you for what you've done, James, for not just our company, but uh, the people of Ukraine. And uh, thank you for kind of being a part of the family. And uh, also thank you for talking with me today. No problem. Thank you very much, Alex.